or far from home is for the better. What we dream, it's all that matters. We're on our way, united. Turn the crowd up now, we'll never back down. Shoot down a skyline, watch it on prime time. Turn up the love now, listen up now. Turn up the love. Who's gonna say? Chapter 4 Stars! Stars everywhere! Bright white points that burned with a steady light. And closer. So much closer. Huge, sky-filling cauldrons of blazing hot gases. His voice was in our heads now, reverberating through our bodies. Huge and sad. I wanted to stop him. To stop his destruction. He wanted to eliminate me. As I stood on nothing, floating on nothing, stars began to dim and die. It was like watching a charcoal fire go from blaze to hot coals to crumbling gray dust. The result was something neither of us could tolerate. The battle we fought destroyed a tenth of the galaxy. Millions of suns. Millions of planets. A dozen sentient races. Before our eyes, or was it straight through our brains, ran images, flashes of creatures in amazing shapes, in sizes and colors that made me want to laugh in sheer wonder. I saw monstrous mammals and tiny insects, species that lived in the sea, and others that floated on air. And one by one, they went dark as their suns. A dozen sentient species, and more who would have achieved sentience, all destroyed, destroyed from nothing. But Cryok was damaged as well. The fabric of space-time, the software, as humans would say, the software that runs the galaxy, was damaged, twisted by the sudden explosion of our power. Once again, I floated in that eerie n-dimensional space. The space beyond space, where inside and outside were meaningless terms. Where I saw the back as easily as the front, the heart of things as easily as the surface, the core of planets as easily as the crust. I saw what seemed like threads, threads that could crawl back inside themselves, disappear and reappear, twist and ravel and braid in insane complication. All Cryak's knowledge of space-time was now shattered. The few threads he had gathered to him were yanked from his grasp. Millions of years of effort wasted. We fell back. Back from our test of wills. Our war. I was in normal space again. With guts and cores and threads all back where they should be. Twisted up and hidden beneath the surface of things. We knew then. Cryak and I, 
that we could never make war again. Not open war, at least. The conflict would have to be carried on by different means. No longer a savage battle. Now it must be a chess game. There would be rules. Limits. Floating across our field of vision, like distorted TV pictures, were flickering images of our own interactions with the Elemist. The times he had played a role, though never a controlling one. When he had shown us that we could escape Earth and live on a sort of game preserve for endangered humans. And when he had used Tobias to help some hork escape to found a free colony. And when he had twisted time to return Alfangor from his happy life, hidden as a human, to a world of struggle, pain, and ultimately death as an Andalite warrior. Alfangor, who was Tobias's true father, and the one who had given us our powers. Each time we saw the Elemist limiting his involvement, refusing to do a billionth of what he could do. Earth is part of our game, Kryak and mine. He without the Yurks absorb humans, and later be absorbed by some still more vicious species. But Earth is not the reason I come to you now. The show was over. We were back in the auditorium. Not that we'd ever really left, I suppose. And the Elemist was a girl with braces again. For millions of years we have played our game, the Elemist said. And we have lived within the rules, more or less. But now war threatens again. There is an impasse. A species I will not let the Kryak take. A species he will not let me save. This species occupies a unique location in space-time. It is a turning point, and if Kryak can annihilate them, his power will grow. His goals become much closer. His forces become much more deadly than ever. Including the Yurks? I asked. Yes, including the Yurks, who will benefit from changes I cannot explain to humans, or even to the mighty Andalites. He added with a gentle, steel smile for Axe. So what happens? Irresistible force and immovable object? Tobias asked. Who gives? You or him? The Elemist said, I will finish the story, and you will decide. Us? Cassie blurted. Kryak and I have reached an agreement on a way to decide the issue. To decide the fate of the escort race. If Kryak wins, they will be attacked, subjugated, and annihilated by another species. What species? Axe asked. The Howlers, the Elemis said. You have heard of them before. I nodded slowly. Yeah, we'd heard of the Howlers. Kryak and I have agreed to decide the issue by contest of champions. His against mine. He has named the Howlers themselves, a group of seven. I am to pit my seven champions against his. What is this, a football game? Cassie demanded. No, that would be eleven guys on the field, not seven, Morco said. Seven Howlers against my seven, the Elemis said. The winners, the survivors, will determine the outcome. And this has what to do with us? Rachel asked belligerently. Oh, come on, Rachel, Marco said. One, 
He pointed at me. Two. He pointed at Rachel. Three, four, five, six. He pointed at X, Cassie, Tobias, and himself. That's six, Cassie said. He needs seven. We're just six. That's not what he means, is it? The Elemis said nothing. Cassie said a word I've never heard her use before. Then, You want us to be your champions? To save these Iskrats? Iskort, the Elemis corrected gently. I'm either honored or ticked off. I don't know which, Morku said hotly. Then, Oh, wait, I do know which, and it's not honored. This must be your choice, the Elemis said. Yours alone. He disappeared. Axe disappeared. Tobias disappeared. The four of us who remained were all back in our seats. And time started up again, with dancers landing after the longest leaps of their careers. Chapter 5 We sat through the rest of the Lion King. Seemed kind of dull after the special effects show the Elemist had put on for us. As soon as it was over, we were out the door. There was supposed to be a final partial period, but half the school was blowing that off, so we did, too. We met at Cassie's Barn, also known as the Wildlife Rehabilitation Clinic. It was a slow week at the clinic, I guess. Many cages were empty, which is rare. It made the place seem kind of forlorn. Tobias was there waiting for us. So was Axe, in his weirdly attractive human morph. He demorphed back to his own self. It didn't take any time at all for the conversation to start. This is nuts, Morco said as soon as Tobias assured us that no one was lurking within earshot. The most powerful creature in the galaxy, a guy who could make Earth disappear by just thinking about it, needs us to fight his battles for him? Like we don't have enough to deal with? Rachel agreed. The only possible reason for doing this is if it helps us in some way, Ark said. Enlightened self-interest. I think we have that, Tobias said. The Elemist has helped us before. Rachel shot him a dark, angry look. He's tricked us before, too. Told us one thing and done another. We know nothing about him. We don't know if the Elemist is one guy. Or more than one. Half the time he says we. Then he says I. So why is he the Elemist? He jerks us around whenever it suits him. And he tells us squat. I knew what she was talking about. Tobias had thought the Elemist would return him to normal. Instead, he merely gave Tobias back his morphing powers. But that had not been a lie or a trick. Not really. He'd promised to give Tobias what he wanted. He had. It was Rachel who couldn't accept that Tobias had chosen, and still chose, to remain a hawk. Why does Howler sound so familiar? Cassie wondered. I know I've heard it before. It was the Howlers who destroyed the Pemelites, creators of the Chi, I said. That's who we'd be going up against. Seven of them against seven of us. Seven? I count six, Marco pointed out. I think I know who our seventh would be, I said. Marco rolled his eyes. Eric? Payback, I explained. Who else would care as much about hurting the Howlers? 
Morku burked out a laugh. He can't fight. He's an android programmed never to hurt anyone. He'd be dead weight. And why are we talking about this like it's time to choose up teams? We hurt this Kryak. We hurt the Yurks. Tobias said. The Elemis loses. We lose. Wait a minute, Tobias. Rachel said. You know I don't run from a fight. To a fight, maybe. Marco interjected. But are we supposed to believe we're the Elemis' only choice here? That there's no one else in the entire galaxy who can go pound on these howlers? Why us? Yes! Ox agreed. Why us? Why not seven battle-trained and elite warriors? This, of course, turned Marco around. Excuse me? Like Andalites are better than we are? What are we, wimps? Me and Gorilla Morph, you as you. Let's go. Let's see who kicks whose butt. Yeah, that would be the sensible thing to do. You two, fight. Cassie said dryly. Okay then, Morco said with a leer. Forget me and Axe. You and Rachel, both wearing bikinis. Rachel calmly stuck out her arm and grabbed a handful of Morco's hair. What was that you said? I must have not heard correctly. I refuse to answer on the grounds that you may tend to snatch me bald. Rachel let him go. I'm starting to see Rachel's point, Tobias said. Why would the Elemis ask for help from this clown college? Could we win? Cassie asked. That stopped everyone. She stepped into the center of the group. Could we win? Could we save an entire sentient species? And maybe help ourselves, too? Maybe weaken the Yurks in some way only the Elemist understands? Seems to me that's the question. I mean, you know, I'm not Rachel. I hate fighting. But the Elemist put an entire race on the scale. An entire race. Maybe millions. Maybe billions. And we're here asking ourselves if we should? How do you not at least try? Iscort? Morco jeered. Now it's our job to save Iscort? What the... What is an escort? He looked at Axe, hands apart, questioning. Axe shook his head. It's a habit he's picked up from us. Of course, he does it while holding his stalk eye still, so it's a bit different. I have never heard of the escort. Normally, on big issues like this, I don't push my opinions out there. I'm supposedly the leader, but to me... There are times when the best thing a leader can do is let others work things out for themselves. But I had to say something. I think... I think there may be something else going on here with the elements choosing us. Everyone stared at me. Marco narrowed his eyes. The elements said something about you seeing this Kryak. I saw him. When the Yurk died in my head, I saw him. And he saw me. And since then... Since then, I've had dreams. Dead silence. I wished I'd kept my mouth shut. Look, I... You know, dreams are weird. Like, who knows if they're ever real. But... These feel real. And in the dreams, I see him. Kryak. I shook my head. I know this sounds crazy. Uh, Jake? Marco said. We've been over the line into crazy since Alfangor said, Hey kids, wanna turn into animals? 
I smiled. That was not exactly what Alfangor had said. I just feel like these dreams aren't totally just dreams. I see him, and he sees me, and he says the same thing each time. What? Cassie put a soft hand on my arm. What does he say? Soon. He just says, soon. Chapter 6 Okay, Morco said. I felt that chill go up my spine. So what does this all tell us? Rachel demanded. This Kryak already doesn't like us. So we go and fight his handpicked team? Maybe we win? Then he loves us? I don't think so. Side bets, Tobias said. I nodded. No one else got it. The Elenists and the Gryak have their main event. Do the Iskort live or die? But maybe there's some action on the side. Us. Maybe that's why he chose us. Maybe there's another level. What other level? Rachel demanded, frustrated. I don't know, Tobias admitted. But here's the thing. It's down to Kryak versus Elemist. Kryak already has an in for Jake, at the very least. Not to mention he backs the Yurks. Not to mention we know the Howlers are just as bad. The Elemist wouldn't pick us if he didn't think we had a chance. Cassie was nodding. She was for it. That made two. I looked at Axe. He made the strange, mouthless, and delight smile. If we can hurt the Yurks! That made three. I looked at Rachel. Oh, come on. You have to ask? No Kryak space monster is going to beat up on my cousin, she said, flashing her cover girl smile. Down to Marco. He looked doubtful. I've learned to trust Marco's doubts. What is it? I asked him. First of all, I'm in, Marco said. But I just want to point out one thing. The Elemis didn't force us. He asked us. Our choice. And maybe he's right that we can do this. But part of the reason we're saying yes is that this Kryak thing has been taking pokes at Jake. And Kryak plays the same long, patient games the Elemis does. So, what are you saying? Cassie asked. I'm saying maybe Kryak wants us there. Maybe he wants us to say yes. And you know what? That's not because he thinks we'll win. Let's vote. Rachel said. Go. Go! Cassie agreed. It was six out of six for going. Unanimous, Marco said. I shook my head. No, we're going to be seven. It's not unanimous till Eric votes. Go! A new voice said. He appeared, standing in the middle of us. A normal-looking boy, or that's what you'd think. The boy was a holographic projection. Inside the illusion was an android. An android who'd helped build the pyramids, who had taken on a hundred different human forms, letting each one seem to age, letting each one seem to die, then reappearing as some new holographic projection. You know what this is all about? I asked Eric. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I realized I had gotten used to the weirdness of people simply appearing out of nowhere. When the Elemist was involved, things like that were normal. I know what it's about, Eric said with a nod. His face was rigid, lips pressed tight together. 
It was impossible. I knew it was impossible. But still, I felt suppressed rage coming from the android. Barely contained violence. The Elemist has brought me up to date, Eric confirmed. If you'll have me, I'll go. I want to go. I... I have to go. You can't fight, Rachel said bluntly. No offense, but I'd rather go get Jarahami or one of the other Freehork Bajir. Or like Ag said, an Andalite warrior. We need firepower. Yes, but that won't be enough. Eric shook his head. You won't defeat the Howlers in one-on-one combat. They're too deadly. You'll need more than your morphs. You'll have to outthink them. And I know them. I know the Howlers. The argument hit home with Rachel. Fair enough. Have you chosen? A huge voice asked. I sighed. Yeah, but can you give us a few days to... Strangers! Strangers! Sell me your memories, strangers! Sell them to me, I beg of you! I was staring into a face not even a mother could love. Howler? I asked shakily. No! Escort! The Elemis said. Your families will not know you have gone. But if you die... He let that hang. He didn't have to explain further. When does the fight start? I cried, recoiling from the escort face thrusting toward me. It has begun! Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And we're in it now, huh? They just, bam, teleported. Um, I gotta say, much more pleased with uh, my Elemist voice this time around. Tried some stuff, think it worked out. Let me know what you think. Um, but other than that, I have some messages. Uh, this one came in through my contact form on my website. That's theapodcalypse.com. The Apocalypse, like Apocalypse, but with the D in the middle. Uh, and it is from Tony, who writes in and says, uh, this one's a bit long, we're going to have some discussion here, so strap in. <clears throat> dear, da- dear Daniel, while listening to the David saga, I had a thought about David's character that gives him a bit more nuance than just David bad. Now, I'm not trying to say that David is a great chap and his choices were right. They weren't. But I think it makes the story more interesting when you consider characters in a more complex way. So essentially, I would liken David to a Spartan 2 from the Halo universe without any of the support Spartans receive. Uh, in case you aren't familiar with the Haloverse, in the Haloverse, humanity has expanded to the stars and is united under United Nations Space Command, the UNSC. The UNSC launches a program to develop super soldiers, the Spartan 2s, uh, for this program, children are kidnapped and with genetic enhancements and power armor made into super soldiers. These are then deployed over the course of the UNSC's de- uh, desperate war for survival against the alien alliance called the Covenant, bent on the total obliteration of humanity. The Animorphs are also arguably a form of super soldiers, just rather than power armor and genetic augmentation, they can turn into animals. Or doesn't that count as a kind of genetic augmentation? They can even be, uh, they can even all be sorted into classic team roles. 
Jake is the commander, Rachel the main soldier, Marco the trickster, X the tech tech expert, Cassie the kind one, and Tobias is a bit hard to classify. The chief difference between the Animorphs and Spartans is that while Spartans have the whole UNSC providing them with the very best equipment and support, the Animorphs stand mostly alone. Most of them do, however, have families. They are very close, uh, and are, they are a very close group of friends. David, however, stands totally alone. He has just lost his family and the Animorphs don't really like him. Additionally, he can't even go out in society because some controller might recognize him. So in essence, he's a Spartan who didn't sign up at all, gets all the drawbacks, exclusion from society, extreme stress, constant pressure, high risk, and being thrown into a massively critical operation with no preparation at all. So it's not really surprising that a child of 12 to 14, I'm pretty sure they are all around that age, would not deal with those conditions very well. Left unsupported in such harsh condition, such a harsh position, excuse me, in such a harsh position, it's not hard to see why David turns out the way he does. Add to this the fact that the Animorphs chose to put him on the team, it's not hard to understand why he does what he does. Now, as said at the top, I'm not trying to make David seem like a good man, and his choices are poor and his deeds are cruel, cruel. Yet, I find it rather understandable why he acts the way he does beyond just saying, David bad. Regardless of David, regardless of David, Audiomorphs is a really cool series, and I hope you keep producing it for a long time to come. Hopefully, you maybe gained a new perspective on the, uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully you may have gained a new perspective on the David saga, and if not, then at least you have found this, uh, if not, then at least you found this an interesting read. Best of luck, Tony. Thank you so much for that extensive message, Tony. Um, a lot of stuff in here that uh, I think is worth digging into. Um, I, I've i never really played Halo beyond multiplayer, but I am aware uh, of Halo stuff, more or less. You know, I got the broad strokes of it. Um, but thank you for that recap. Um, some things I want to dig into here that you mentioned. Um, first of all, the, uh, the kind of tropes. Uh, I agree with a couple of these. Jake is the commander. That's a classic military trope. Absolutely. Rachel, the main soldier. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. That sort of like battle ready, uh, character. Then you say Marco is the trickster and I'm not sure I, uh, am fully with you there. I think Marco is a tactician and, um, that kind of overlaps with leader, right? Leaders often are, are dealing with tactics, but I feel like he's the like real strategy guy, um, for the Animorphs. Um, he's the one who sees every angle, you know? X, acts the text, absolutely. Cassie, the kind one. I would say Tobias is the loner. Um, that classic lone wolf guy in, in, you know, um, kind of military stories. Um, let's see. You covered the uh, whole child soldier thing with the Spartans. Um, yeah. Um, you say, so in essence, he's a Spartan who didn't sign off at all. Um, but, Actually, I think that's most Spartans, from what I understand. You also did say the children are kidnapped, so... Uh, um, but this is actually something I was talking with my friend uh, Jackson on Twitter. Um, just th- last week, I think. Um, but yeah, David's... Uh, well, first of all, you're right. He's like 12. So everything has to be seen through the lens of this is literally a child, right? But um, you're absolutely right that David doesn't have a support network at all. Um while he does have, like, people he cares about that are controllers that he could be fighting to free, right, his parents, the same way that Jake has Tom and Marco has his mom, 
Um, but Jake and Marco both also have family, right? That support them, that can support them and give them like some emotional refuge in this war. And they also have each other, as you pointed out. They're, they've become a very close knit group of friends. So yeah, David's coming in here as, um, an outsider and then immediately put into a soldier hierarchy too, right? He's not just getting to know these people. He's immediately having to take orders from Jake because they're on a mission. This is a mission they can't put off. Um, and so he's had to immediately kind of become um, a, the bottom the bottom man in this group, uh, which is uh, alienating. You're right. And then, um, you know, he's going through this like very traumatic thing. His parents have been taken from him. He's living in a barn. He has no home. He, he you know, he can't sleep indoors. Uh, he's 12. He can't sleep indoors. He's eating whatever Cassie can sneak him. Right. Uh, he can't even go to McDonald's. He can't watch TV. Um, at 12 years old, he, he, he misses his parents, you know, he doesn't have any friends, he's very alone, he's very isolated, and then, um, where was I going with that? Wow, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, oh yeah, and then, um, he's going through all this, and then everyone around him is saying, that's not important right now, because, uh, realistically, they, it isn't in the terms of the stakes of this war, this is more important than David's individual thing, right? It's important than more important than any of their individual things. But David hasn't bought into this war yet. Uh, he still believes, you know, like the Yorks can be bargained with. He hasn't, he wasn't told by Alfangor the stakes of this war. So he, he's, uh, he, he just doesn't buy it. And so, yeah, I think his actions are very logical. Um, he's still a bit of a snot nosed brat, but, you know, we were all 12 once. It's, it's a difficult age. Um, I've I've never thought David as just David bad. Um, I think he's I think that's what uh, K. A. Applegate does really well is that she uh, takes complex people and puts them in uh, an approachable way for for you know um, nine to thirteen or whatever the age demo for this this series is. But uh, she's never reductive about it, right? She um, she always treats it with respect. Um, it really treats these as real people. Um, it's, uh, it's never Saturday morning cartoon, um, as far as the characterization goes. Sometimes the plots get a little bit there, but the characters are always very, very real. Um, and I think that's why this series has had such staying power and why people, um, discover or rediscover it and are really drawn in is because, uh, these are very well-written characters, even the bad ones, um, Visitor 3 gets a little Saturday morning cartoony, but, uh, you know. It is a children's book. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us all those thoughts, uh, Tony. Uh, appreciate your message. If you have any Halo hot takes for me, please write in. <laughs> and uh, we got one more shorter message now. We won't be going as in-depth with this one, but it's still very nice. This one was sent in through the Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Um, it's from Scout, uh, and it reads, Hi, my name is Scout. About a year ago, my best friend Adrian started getting me into the Animorph series, and we'd spend the weekend snuggling her dog, snuggling her dog, baking, and listening to your podcast, Audiomorphs. I'm still listening to them. Right now, I'm on book 16, about to be book 17. I listen to the books when I need to decompress or relax, and it's really great to come back to such likable characters. I wish I'd read, read these when I was younger, but, but now I am. And you're part of that wonderful journey of reading new stories and thinking about the themes within them. Go you! No, go you, Scout! Thank you for writing in. I'm so glad you're enjoying this. Um, that sounds like a wonderful afternoon, and that's not 
just me being full of myself and like, oh, yeah, I listen to my own podcast. I do, actually. I like, you know, it's a little quality control, a little bit. I like these stories, and I think I did a good job. Sue me. Um, but yeah, who doesn't want to spend a weekend snuggling a dog, baking, and reading a good book or listening to a good book? I feel it. Thank you so much, Scout. Um, here's to many more, I guess. Um, if you'd like to write in like Scout or Tony, you can do that through that website. That's theapocalypse.com, uh, the, the Gmail, that's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Also, Tumblr, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Um, on the review page of Apple Podcasts. Uh, any of those, I think. And also on Twitter, actually. Yeah, that's at Audiomorphs. And that's where you should check. If I'm ever late posting, I'll try to have a reason up there. All right, I've rambled on long enough. Uh, thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you next time. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>